Chapter Four of the Enchanted Barn. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gail Mattern. The Enchanted Barn by Grace Livingston Hill. Chapter Four. The afternoon before, when Mr. Sidney Graham had returned to his office from seeing Shirley to the elevator, he stood several minutes looking thoughtfully at the chair where she had sat, while he carefully drew on his gloves. There had been something interesting and appealing in the spirited face of the girl, with her delicate features and wistful eyes. He could not seem to get away from it. It had left an impression of character and a struggle with forces of which in his sheltered life he had had only a vague conception. It had left him with the feeling that she was stronger in some ways than himself, and he did not exactly like the sensation of it. He had always aimed to be a strong character himself, and for a young man who had inherited two hundred and fifty thousand dollars on coming of age, and double that amount two years later, with the prospect of another goodly sum when his paternal grandfather's estate was divided, he had done very well indeed. He had stuck to business ever since leaving college, where he had been by no means a non-entity, either in studies or in athletics, and he had not been spoiled by the adulation that a young man of his good looks and wealth and position always receives in society. He had taken society as a sort of duty, but had never given it an undue proportion of his time and thoughts. Notably, he was a young man of fine balance and strong self-control, not given to impulsive or erratic likes and dislikes, and he could not understand why a shabby little person with a lock of gold over one crimson cheek and tired, discouraged lights in her eyes had made so strong an impression on him. It had been his intention, just before Shirley's arrival, to leave the office at once and perhaps drop in on Miss Harriet Hale. If the hour seemed propitious, he would take her for a spin in his new racing car that even now waited in the street below. But somehow, suddenly his plan did not attract him deeply. He felt the need of being by himself. After a turn or two up and down his luxurious office, he took the elevator down to the street floor, dismissed his chauffeur, and whirled off in his car, taking the opposite direction from that which would have taken him to the Hale residence. Harriet Hale was a very pretty girl, with a brilliant mind and a royal fortune. She could entertain him and stimulate him tremendously, and sometimes he almost thought the attraction was strong enough to last him through life. But Harriet Hale would not be able to appreciate his present mood, nor explain to him why the presence in his office for fifteen minutes of a nervy little stenographer who was willing to live in a barn should have made him so vaguely dissatisfied with himself. If he were to try to tell her about it, he felt sure he would meet with laughing taunts and brilliant sarcasm. She would never understand. He took little notice of where he was going, threading his way skillfully through the congested portion of the city and out into the comparatively empty highways, until at last he found himself in the suburbs. The name of the street as he slowed up at a grade crossing gave him an idea. Why shouldn't he take a run out and hunt up that barn for himself? What had she said about it, where it was? He consulted the memorandum he had written down for his father's edification. Glenside Road, near Allister Avenue. He further searched his memory. Big stone barn, wide approach like a grand staircase, tall tree overhanging. Brook. This surely ought to be enough to help him identify it. There surely were not a flock of stone barns in that neighborhood that would answer that description. 
He turned into Glenside Road with satisfaction and set a sharp watch for the names of the cross avenues with a view to finding Allister Avenue, and once he stopped and asked a man in an empty milk wagon whether he knew where Allister Avenue was, and was informed that it was on a piece about five miles. There was something interesting in hunting up his own strange barn, and he began to look about him and try to see things with the eyes of the girl who had just called upon him. Most of the fields were green with spring, and there was an air of things doing over them, as if growing were a business that one could watch, like house-cleaning and paper-hanging and painting. Graham had never noticed before that the great, bare spring out of doors seemed to have a character all its own, and actually to have an attraction. A little later, when the trees were out, and all the orchards in bloom, and the wild flowers blowing in the breeze, he could rave over spring but he had never seen the charm of its beginnings before. He wondered curiously over the fact of his keen appreciation now. The sky was all opalescent, with lovely pastel colors along the horizon, and a few tall, lank trees had put on a soft gauze of green over their foreheads, like frizzes, discernible only to a close observer. The air was getting chilly with approaching night, and the bees were no longer proclaiming, with their hum, the way to the skunk cabbages, but a delicate perfume was in the air, and though perhaps Graham had never even heard of skunk cabbages, he drew in long breaths of sweetness and let out his car over the smooth road with a keen delight. Behind a copse of fine old willows, age tall and hoary with weather, their extremities just hinting of green as they stood knee-deep in the brook on its way to a larger stream, he first caught sight of the old barn. He knew it at once by something indefinable— its substantial stone spaciousness, its mossy roof, its arching tree, and the brook that backed away from the wading willows up the hillside under the rail fence and ran around its side, all were unmistakable. He could see it just as the girl had seen it, and something in him responded to her longing to live there and make it into a home. Perhaps he was a dreamer, even as she, although he passed in the world of business for a practical young man. But anyhow, he slowed his car down and looked at the place intently as he passed by. He was convinced that this was the place. He did not need to go on and find Allister Avenue, though he did, and then turned back again, stopping by the roadside. He got out of the car, looking all the time at the barn and seeing it in the light of the girl's eyes. As he walked up the grassy slope to the front doors, he had some conception of what it must be to live so that this would seem grand as a home and he showed he was not spoiled by his life in the lap of luxury, for he was able to get a glimpse of the grandeur of the spot and the dignity of the building, with its long, simple lines and rough old stones. The sun was just going down as he stood there looking up. It touched the stones and turned them into jeweled settings, glorifying the old structure into a palace. The evening was sweet with the voices of birds not far away. One above the rest clear and occasional, high in the elm-tree over the barn, a wood-thrush, spilling its silver notes down to the brook that echoed them back in a lilt. The young man took off his hat and stood in the evening air, listening and looking. He could see the poetry of it, and somehow he could see the girl's face, as if she stood there beside him, her wonderful eyes lighted as they had been when she told him how beautiful it was there. She was right. It was beautiful, and it was a lovely soul that could see it, 
and feel what a home this would make in spite of the ignominy of its being nothing but a barn. Some dim memory, some faint remembrance of a stable long ago and the glory of it, hovered on the horizon of his mind, but his education had not been along religious lines, and he did not put the thing into a definite thought. It was just a kind of sensing of a great fact of the universe, which he perhaps might have understood in a former existence. Then he turned to the building itself. He was practical, after all, even if he was a dreamer. He tried the big padlock. How did they get into this thing? How had the girl got in? Should he be obliged to break into his own barn? He walked down the slope, around to the back, and found the entrance close to the ladder. But the place was quite dark within the great stone walls, and he peered into the gloomy basement with disgust at the dirt and murk. Only here and there, where a crack looked toward the setting sun, a bright needle of light sent a shaft through to let one see the inky shadows. He was half turning back, but reflected that the girl had said she went up a ladder to the middle floor. If she had gone, surely he could. Again that sense that she was stronger than he rebuked him. He got out his pocket flashlight and stepped within the gloom determinedly. Holding the flashlight above his head, he surveyed his property disapprovingly. Then, with the light in his hand, he climbed in a gingerly way up the dusty rounds to the middle floor. As he stood alone in the dusky shadows of the big barn, with the blackness of the hayloft overhead, the darkness pierced, only by the keen blade of the flashlight and a few feebler darts from the sinking sun, the poetry suddenly left the old barn, and a shudder ran through him. To think of trying to live here, how horrible! Yet still that same feeling that the girl had more nerve than he had forced him to walk the length and breadth of the floor, peering carefully into the dark corners and acquainting himself fully with the bare big place, and also to climb part way up the ladder to the loft and send his flashlight searching through its dusty, hay-strewn recesses. With a feeling utterly at variance with the place, he turned away in disgust and made his way down the ladders again out into the sunset. In that short time the evening had arrived. The sky had flung out banners and pennants, penciled by a fringe of fine saplings like slender brown threads against the sky. The earth was sinking into dusk, and off by the brook the frogs were tinkling like tiny answering silver rattles. The smell of earth and growing stole upon his senses, and even as he gazed about him a single star burned into being in the clear ether above him. The birds were still now, and the frogs, with the brook for accompaniment, held the stage. Once more the charm of the place stole over him, and he stood with hat removed, and wondered no longer that the girl was willing to live here. A conviction grew within him that somehow he must make it possible for her to do so, that things would not be right and as they ought to be unless he did. In fact, he had a curiosity to have her do it and see whether it could be done. He went slowly down to his car at last, with lingering backward looks. The beauty of the situation was undoubted, and called for admiration. It was too bad that only a barn should occupy it. He would like to see a fine house reared upon it. But somehow in his heart he was glad that it was not a fine house standing there against the evening sky, and that it was possible for him to let the girl try her experiment of living there. Was it possible? Could there be any mistake? Could it be that he had not found the right barn after all? He must make sure, of course. But still he turned his car toward home, feeling reasonably sure that he had found the right spot, 
and as he drove swiftly back along the way he was thinking and all his thoughts were woven with the softness of the spring evening and permeated with its sounds he seemed to be in touch with nature as he had never been before at dinner that night he asked his father did grandfather graham ever live out on the old glenside road father a pleasant twinkle came in the elder graham's eyes sure he said lived there myself when i was five years old before the old man got to speculating and made his pile and we got too grand to stay in a farmhouse i can remember rolling down a hill under a great big tree and your uncle billy pushing me into the brook that ran at the foot we boys used to wade in that brook and build dams and catch little minnows and sail boats it was great sport i used to go back holidays now and then after i got old enough to go away to school we were living in town then but i used to like to go out and stay at the farmhouse it was rented to a queer old dick but his wife was a good sort and made the bulliest apple turnovers for us boys and doughnuts the old farmhouse burned down a year or so ago but the barn is still standing i can remember how proud your grandfather was of that barn it was finer than any barn around and bigger we boys used to go up in the loft and tumble in the hay and once when i was a little kid i got lost in the hay and billy had to dig me out i can remember how scared i was when i thought i might have to stay there forever and have nothing to eat say father said the son leaning forward eagerly i've a notion i'd like to have that old place in my share do you think it could be arranged the boys won't care i'm sure they're always more for the town than the country why yes i guess that could be fixed up you just see mr dalrymple about it he'll fix it up billy's boy got that place up river you know just see the lawyer and he'll fix it up no reason in the world why you shouldn't have the old place if you care for it not much in it for money though i guess they tell me property's way down out that direction now the talk passed to other matters and sidney graham said nothing about his caller of the afternoon nor of the trip he had taken out to see the old barn instead he took his father's advice and saw the family lawyer mr dalrymple the first thing in the morning it was all arranged in a few minutes mr dalrymple called up the other heirs and the children's guardian an office-boy hurried out with some papers and came back with the signatures of heirs and guardians who happened all to be within reach and presently the control of the old farm was formally put into the hands of mr sidney graham he having signed certain papers agreeing to take this as such and such portion of his right in the whole estate it had been a simple matter and yet when at about half-past eleven o'clock mr dalrymple's stenographer laid a folded paper quietly on sidney graham's desk and silently left the room he reached out and touched it with more satisfaction than he had felt in any acquisition in a long time not excepting his last racing car it was not the value the paper represented however that pleased him but the fact that he would now be able to do as he pleased concerning the prospective tenant for the place and follow out a curious and interesting experiment he wanted to study this girl and see whether she really had the nerve to go and live in a barn a girl with a face like that to live in a barn he wanted to see what manner of girl she was and to have the right to watch her for a little space it is true that the morning light might present her in a very different aspect from that in which she had appeared the evening before and he mentally reserved the right to turn her down completely if she showed the least sign of not being all that he had thought her at the same time he intended to be entirely sure he would not turn her away without a thorough investigation 
Graham had been greatly interested in the study of social science when in college, and human nature interested him at all times. He could not but admit to himself that this girl had taken a most unusual hold upon his thoughts. End of chapter 4